to read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of the bestseller experiment by the two marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality. And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a best-selling novel and inspire you to finish your book. I'm Mark Stay, and I'm flying solo this week in the latest of our one-page punch-ups specials. We'll come to that in a moment, but first of all, a big thank you to our sponsor, Pro Writing Aid, the official editing software of The Bestseller Experiment. Pro Writing Aid is so much more than just a mere grammar checker. It's a style editor, writing mentor, all in one package. And what's more, it integrates with Scrivener and Word, Google Docs, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, OpenOffice, Outlook, and it's designed for the smarter writer, which is all of you lot. And as a listener of The Bestseller Experiment, you can get a whopping 20% off right now. Get your discount today over at prowritingaid.com forward slash bestseller and the other big thing we're getting very excited about is the bxp 2020 challenge now do you want 2020 to be your best writing year ever do you want to write and finish your book you want to create a lifetime writing habit well we're introducing the most exciting writing challenge ever and it all starts with you writing just 200 words a day if you want to find out more go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash bxp 2020 or look for the hashtag bxp 2020 and sign up now one page punch-ups one page punch-ups these are my most favorite episodes i really really love these what is a one page punch-up well we put word out to our chart topper patrons send us one page from your work in progress and we'll give it to a top editor and they will critique it on the show and we'll all learn something and get inspired now first of all you'll be able to read along with the one pages uh if you go to the show notes you'll see links to download the pdfs with all of these i do recommend reading along because it makes all the difference we've had a barrage of entries more than ever this time they came very late i was getting very worried about a week before we'd had one and i was thinking oh no have we, is the well run dry but everyone i think was polishing their stuff before sending it in and thank you to everyone who sent their one pages in we can't feature them all there are a lot of science fiction and fancy ones this time and i've held a couple back because i'd love to repeat repeat the episode we did with Gillian and marcus from Golants one day so uh so yes don't take it personally if it's not featured this week it may turn up in another episode now if you want to get involved for next time pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and we'll be opening the window soon for next month's one page submissions that's for our chart topper supporters they also get invited to our live shows and get all sorts of other fun extras as well as getting the regular week- weekly episodes early they get special exclusive to patreon deep dive episodes uh, over 70 episodes now and these deep deep dive into all kinds of stuff like uh, we've been talking to people like starting your own publisher metadata digital first publishing facebook ads amazon ads creative writing courses pitching your book to the movie world all kinds of great stuff so if you want to become a chart topper pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and thank you to everyone who supports us we could not do the show without you now we welcome an old friend to the podcast a publisher at orion emad Akhtar. how are you today sir very good thanks thanks for having me back oh our absolute pleasure this is always a joy and uh, I think we've got I think we've got five one pages this week so more than we've done before I think now do you have a particular favorite or shall I just jump in with one you go you go with uh, whichever one uh, I've got I've got notes on all of them here excellent stuff right let me go uh, let me pick one at random from the wheel of doom okay all ah, right I'm gonna do love in bloom by Kay Bellingham Tory 
pulled up in front of the house as if it were the most natural thing in the world. Of course, it had been the most natural thing in the world once upon a time. This house had been her home, hers and Michael's. Now it was just a collection of wood, glass and paint and emptiness. Her palms were slick. She ran her hands over the steering wheel to rid them of the anxious sweat. The feeling of it pooling on her skin turned her stomach. She looked up at the house. White walls, green roof, blue shutters. The colours, the shades she'd spent months obsessing over now only reminded her of the hospital. And the hospital reminded her of the accident, of waking up in that cold, clinical bed and being told that Michael was dead. She almost had been too. How often she had wished she was. The tell-tale prickling started at the backs of her eyes. She closed them, took a deep breath, and tried to push the memories from her mind. Come on, T, she muttered. You can do this. She took another deep breath. It was time she dealt with this. There was a knock at the car window. Tori, is that you? It's me, Mrs McKinley, she said with a sigh. Nothing happened in Haywood Falls, and especially not on Peach Street, without Mrs McKinley knowing about it. The woman had a nose for a story. In another lifetime, one in which she hadn't married Mr McKinley straight out of high school, she'd have been a great reporter, or maybe even a detective. Well, asked the busybody, are you getting out of the car, or are you trying to give yourself carbon monoxide poisoning? Of course not, Mrs M. I was just resting my eyes, she said. It was a long drive. You wouldn't have had a long drive if you just stayed here in the first place. Oh, that's one page from Love in Bloom by Kay Bellingham. Emad. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was the major strength of this, um, assuming it's from quite early um, in a story or if not the very, very start of the story. It had very good exposition, which is something that's quite notoriously hard to do. I think a lot Mm. of um, the writers out there will agree. Um, In one page, we have a lot of information about not just the situation, but the character, her feelings and kind of using that um, to drive the scene and her kind of place within it. So I thought that was um, a definite strength of it. I mean, really, by the end of the third paragraph, we know what's happened and we know most of why she's there and then I will start to split hairs really after that after saying <laughs> that I, I have liked it um, in terms of uh, you know the, the editorial instinct I think is generally to cut and to say less um, unless there's something that's really not coming through so here I would start um, going down the page sort of in order end of the first paragraph I like that line now it was just a collection of wood glass and paint mm-hmm. I'm not sure we need the and emptiness after it or you could kind of weave it into the previous line and say it was just an empty collection of wood glass and paint I feel like that's a bit more emphatic for some reason that adding an emptiness almost over exit a little bit for me personally right right and that's really because the more you kind of let you don't guide the reader too much you know the the more we feel the guiding hand of the author I think the more we tend to not enjoy things I think you want it to sort of feel like a bit of a freer experience so I feel like there I kind of felt the guiding hand of the author it's hammering it home a little a little bit too much yeah and then on the paragraph after that um about the feeling of the sweat pooling in her palm turning her stomach I mean that is again I just wonder um and this is a theme that we'll come back to on some of the others that if you 
turn things up too much, where do you sort of go from there as the story progresses? And that, that can sometimes be a bit of a, a problem if you kind of come in on too high an energy level or a nervousness level, then where do you then kind of progress the story from there? And actually, this is a very common tick that I find. And actually, in, in lo- loads of books I do this, um, something about stomach turning, fe- something in the guts, feeling sick, feeling, you know, all of this is a really, really common thing. I see it in so many thrillers. I mean, just even just this year, I think two or three off the top of my head where I've had to take out a lot of stomach turning. <laughs> For some reason, it seems to be a, a tick that people come back to or people feel nauseous more than I do. I don't know. It doesn't, <laughs> I almost never feel like my stomach is being turned, but I don't know if, if that's well, more you common. Want, you want to... You want to get across the the idea that something terrible has happened, and you always think of that that cold feeling in the pit of your stomach. Yeah. If you if you're an author and you're trying to do that sense memory thing, where you go, well, how did I feel when I heard that maybe my grandpa died or, yes. or whatever? That's maybe the thing, and you try and recreate it, but it is a it is a bit tropey, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it's just. Um it feels like perhaps too obvious a way of doing it maybe um or maybe there's other ways of getting that across i mean i I kind of just think like visual description visual detail can sort of get across details are a little bit kind of out of place in and that always i feel is quite an effective way of doing it i mean having said that i think you know that the first three paragraphs you know they really kind of take you into the moment Mm -hmm. and her feeling and i'm really just you know this is an exercise in sort of hypercritical line by line reading isn't it so (laughs) obviously everyone sending it in is is amazingly sort of brave and and yeah they're just very welcome really to even have the chance to, to look at this stuff my only real note on the next paragraph is she spent months obsessing over the house, the colours of the house, the walls, the roof, the shutters. But now it only reminded her of the hospital and the hospital reminded her of the accident and that being told that Michael was dead. Why Why does the paint and the, the selection of the colours remind her of the hospital rather than just being at home reminds her of that her husband is dead? Why do, why do you need those connecting? I, I, I got that. That worked for me. I, I, I mean... Hospital waiting rooms tend to be those, certainly green. Oh, I see. You know, see. Uh, although they're, they're, some hospitals tend to be magnolia, those calming colours, I guess. That's that's where I got. Fine. That's okay. what I got from that. Yeah, yeah, fine. I mean, that that does make sense now that you've explained it. That makes sense. I thought it was there's something about the selection of the that process of selecting the colours and obsessing right, over right, it rather right, than the colours themselves. Right. But you're right, those kind of neutral tones um, definitely very common in hospitals. And really, I mean, I think the rest of it the dialogue and everything it works really well i think that having this other character sort of hurrying her along relatively irritating character i think later on she's asked the busybody i think we can we don't have to put that because you've already explained pretty well that she's nosy so i don't don't think that needs to be re-explained and actually just trust the introduction you've done because it works really really well it just feels a little bit clunky i think saying ask the busybody and you actually you've done a pretty good job of introducing that character not just that what you've already told us about the character but even if you took that out the fact that this is a stranger who lives on the street who's turned up instantly with questions and demands you know feels like this is just the action alone suggests this is quite a nosy, quite irritating character. Yeah. And whether that is the case or not, who knows? But that's certainly how she's presented to us at first. And yeah, I mean, I think there's a repetition of deep breath twice. You know, one of those could be varied up. But I think overall, I'd, I, I thought this does a very good job of taking you into the story, into the character psychology, and actually creates a good amount of um, intrigue in terms of, well, what's she going to do when she gets into the house? Is she going to keep herself together? What exactly is she going to do in the house? You know, all of those kind of questions. So I think mm. it's it's uh, an effective introduction. And overall, I thought the line by line quality was very good. 
wonderful stuff so thank you for sending that in Kay that was love in bloom right random 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 what should we go with next we're going to go with uh, Duplicity by Jack Harmon I've not been looking forward to this one because there's a bit of Italian in this Mm -hmm. so if I I become Super Mario at any point (laughs) rein me in okay Duplicity Jack Harmon Dr Lucy French step from the taxi opposite the Piazzale Aldemoro and sees the opportunity of a gap in the traffic to run across the road. Before she returned to the stifling halls of the University di Roma, she needed to call the local hospitals to ask if her friend, Chiara Bonucci, had been admitted. To do this, she needed to be alone, in a neutral place where she could strive to keep the savage anxiety that twisted inside her from escaping in her voice. Dottore French! Had she imagined it, or was somebody calling her? She stopped and pushed a long red strand of hair from her face to squint into the sunlight. Not imagined. Her heart spasmed with exasperation. There he was, stalking toward her, long-legged strides devouring the distance. Cesare Rossi, il bel professore. Chiara's nemesis, and now her own. How had he found her? Lucia! The arrogance of him made her skin prickle, and she folded her arms across her chest, her fingers closing like claws around her phone. Eyes hard as marble chips scoured her face. There has been news, he said. News? See, Dr. Benucci has been found in the Cloaca Maxima, in the Great Drain. Relief came in a tremendous wave, which quickly receded. He had said, in. Rossi shook his head, dark hair falling forward. A tourista saw a red scarf and called the police. I'm afraid Dottore Bonucci is dead. The words dropped from his mouth, heavy and misshapen. Lucy stared at him. It wasn't true. Chiara was not dead. She was... The pressure of a terrible wail began to build in her throat. I am sorry. It is a terrible shock for us all. Rossi reached out, put his hand on her arm. She slapped him away. How dare he... He had never liked Chiara. Diavolo! She screamed into his face, spittle flecking his chin. You arrogant, self-obsessed devil! She ached to take off one of her shoes and beat his handsome face to a bloody pulp. And that's duplicity from Jack Harmon. Jack, I hope I didn't mangle that up too much. So, Emad. Really, my overall main feedback on this one is that it's, it's just a little bit adjective heavy. It's a little bit overwritten in places. That's probably my only real criticism. I think in terms of how it functions as an introduction into a story, I think it's it's good. I'd like a little bit less of the kind of... The language is a little bit heavy for my personal tastes in places, and I feel like it's, again, just guiding us a little bit too much in terms of what to think and feel, whereas actually I think if it was more focused through the character's lens rather than this feeling that the author's kind of layering on too many specific descriptors onto everything. But having said that, it's it's a very good um, opening to a story in terms of, you know, you assume there's some sort of mystery about how she ended up there and, and the connection between... Lucy and Kiara specifically and then how this how this third character plays into it mm. that sounds all a bit too negative really I know but that was, was really just the overwriting is is quite an easy thing to fix and I think it's the good thing about that is it's in the author's hands isn't it we, we've done a few of these now and but is that fair do you think what I'm saying I, about this I, th- I think it is yeah and it's um it's a common 
uh, criticism we've had mm. through all of the one-page punch-ups, mm. which is, and I'm guilty of this myself, which is just over-egging the pudding, just reinforcing. You make a point and then you reinforce it with, like, yeah. say, with an adjective or something. And I guess it's a, a, a second draft thing, maybe, where you go yes. through it again and just say, you know what, I think the reader gets it by now. Yeah, I think I think it definitely is a second draft thing. Also, I assume that because you you have you know a very tiny canvas of one page to sort of put things into, I imagine people might be trying to make it work. Or, or certainly making it denser than it might be if if you had you know a thirty page mm. section or something to to look at. Mm. Um, I guess just to drill down specifically into this stifling halls, fine. I mean, okay, you know, we we can we don't have to know that, but if you want to tell us that, that's fine. And then it just it just suddenly just ramps up quite quickly. And I, I think the you know, specifically this bit in a neutral place where she could strive to keep the savage anxiety that twisted inside her from escaping in her voice. I mean, we know what that means, but does it again, it kind of ties to what I was saying earlier that if you come in on like a sort of 10 of nervous energy, where do you really go from there in the story? And, you know, and, and as you see later, as it goes on, there's a kind of. You know, maybe it's a maybe it's a, a choice the, the author's making that, you know, her heart spasmed with exasperation. And that sounds really unpleasant and <laughs> me- medically sort of risky um, as well. Uh, I just think, like, you know, does that maybe that is where she's at? But then, where's the rest of the story going to go? She's already at that stage when we meet her. I mean, you need that texture, you need that variety from kind of beat to beat and chapter to chapter. Mm-hmm. And then there's other things like stalking toward her long-legged strides, devouring the distance. I mean, you could easily just say he was walking towards her without. The effect really of it all, it's not even so much that it's a line by line, word by word effect. The effect is it's slowing down the progress to the information we want to get to. The information that will give us the maximum return on our sort of time investment is that she's dead, she's been found what happens next you know what I mean so just keep it where possible to keep it lean and mean keep it kind of propelling us forward and things like that there's actually there's a good one in one of the other ones um, which which will provide an interesting sort of counterpoint to this there's sometimes when you're in an action moment you can kind of give us a slower breakdown of the action but in this point it's actually more you're not building atmosphere yet because we don't know what's happened if that Mm -hmm. makes sense you know what i mean it's not it's not a reflective atmosphere because it's not reflecting of anything at this moment and then i guess yeah just kind of carrying that on this this fingers closing like claws uh, around the phone you know maybe that's fine because at that moment you know you're trying to communicate this sort of defensiveness and um, enmity towards this guy I, i i thought the line kiara's nemesis and now her own was a bit on the nose for me personally i just think should we be allowed to make up our own mind a little bit? Is that something that's pushing us too heavily there? And again, you're you're telling us what to think before we've experienced the interaction, and then maybe you can, you know, retrospectively tell us that. Mm. I didn't understand the heavy and misshapen words. That was just that was it. And then later on, when he says he had never liked Kiara, that you know, you've already told us it's a nemesis before, and that almost feels like a massive dilution of what a nemesis is, rather than he'd never liked her, if that makes sense. Yeah. But actually, if you know, if you strip a lot of that out. It's quite a dramatic moment finding out a close friend or colleague or whatever has been found, not only is dead, but has been found, and finding that out through someone who you really dislike. That's kind of an interesting... Yeah. Because there's... You could play on that relationship maybe in the sense of, like, she's kind of screaming in his face, whereas actually maybe there's a way of possibly having a second beat in the scene where she's relying on this guy for information as much as she dislikes him and that's her reaction yeah. isn't it kind of interesting to have to rely on someone you dislike for this key information you know maybe yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. the next beat of the scene could explore that and then fold back into the default position yeah. anyway just thinking out loud what else yeah I, I guess the feedback aside from the overwritten thing is that just to if you imagine it almost visually if this was a 
film or, or, or some other medium, you'd almost have reaction shots to every line of dialogue. If you look down the page, yeah. every line of dialogue has a reaction shot or a reaction moment or a reaction mini beat or a full beat. We probably don't need that to every single one. You want to give us some of the mid-flow of the conversation and then kind of bookend it with the kind of gotcha. exposition and context, yeah. if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That would be my, my instinct. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks for that. Thank you. Amazing. Let's next one. We got three left. So let's go with Scourge by Anonymous. This author asked to remain anonymous. So let's go with this Scourge. But this is ludicrous. President Remus blustered, his red face setting a startling contrast to his greying hair. They can't ask us to do this. They are not asking, I said from my place at the far side of the room. All the men turned to look at me. Forgive me, began Aidan Crawley, but I don't think you quite appreciate the situation. He had already turned back to the esteemed company assembled at the table when I continued. Oh, I understand, Mr. Crawley, but I'm not sure you do. The gaggle of grey suits looked at me. It was not a friendly look. That was okay. I can handle unfriendly. It's stupid I have a problem with. We are not issuing you with an ultimatum here, I went on. We are simply informing you of what is coming. So what do you want from us? Asked a thick-set older man, who I knew to be British Minister for Defence, Brendan Platt. His cloudy blue eyes fixed me over thick-rimmed spectacles. What will it take for your people to stop them? We can't. Oh, come, come now, he said, leaning back in his chair and steepling his fingers in front of him. Let's not be coy here. There must be a price, so let's get to it. He leaned forward. Tell us what you want. What makes you think we have the power to stop them? Oh, I don't know. You ride in here like Mr. Spock with technology our scientists haven't even dreamt of yet. You settle into our planet, make yourself at home, and now, suddenly, there's something big and bad coming to get us. He paused, then added in a voice hard and sharp as steel. You've seen something you want. Land, resources, manpower, something. Mark my words, even if you aren't in the loop yet, young lady... Your higher-ups have found their price. He leaned back, nodding in self-satisfied certainty. And that was Scourge by Anonymous. I love a good Scourge word. Emma. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really like this one. I thought um, it's certainly not overwritten. I think it was good. I think it had a good balance between the sort of dialogue, the situation, the character and all of that. I thought it flowed really well. I definitely read it um, pretty quickly as a result. There was very little for me to sort of snag on or, or feel, you know, like, oh, this is missing or that's missing. I guess, you know, it's it's hard sometimes because then you, with only one page, you don't want to not say anything because it's, you know, their line by line quality, I think, is good. Um, I guess it's maybe this getting a sense of who this I is, you know, like what they notice and, and why, do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. looking at things like right in the first line, his red face setting a startling contrast to his graying hair, you know, okay, it's unclear why with those kind of descriptions i always think why would this person notice this at that moment or are you just trying to get some information across the reader yeah. this is maybe some sort of other life form or someone from somewhere else did you get that impression on this one maybe yeah 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 um, definitely aliens involved somewhere aliens involved somewhere <laughs> yeah or maybe from the future or some sort of thing like that and i guess you know later on he's saying who i knew to be british minister for defense that makes sense because they they would know all of that yeah, I mean, I think it does a really good job at, at building the intrigue. Who are they, who is this third party? Who are this them? What do they know? What do they want? All that kind of stuff. Um, I guess I was thinking maybe some kind of 
it's hard to look at one page and think like it's a full structure of, of a scene in and of itself but maybe either a little bit more on the setting or how and why they're assembled but that is probably in the rest of the scene somewhere else yeah. or, or a sense of kind of timing urgency impetus i guess that's the thing that's maybe uh could come through in the scene if it's not already it feels a little bit of a I mean, it's strange. I don't really understand what, what Brendan Platt has as leverage that he is being so rude to this person he's mm. trying to help um, or trying to get them to help the situation. But I think, yeah, I think the level of description versus dialogue, the kind of pace, the flow of it, I thought it was it was nice. I thought it was good. It certainly built a lot of intrigue on, on what's going on. Mm. I love a big alien invasion story, as who, we were just discussing. Who doesn't? Exactly. One thing I noticed, the Minister of Defence is, is leaning forward, then leaning back, then leaning forward. He's going to fall off his chair, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I actually hadn't noticed that, but yeah, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe he is going to. Or he's got one of those special chairs that lets you do that. Powerful war room chairs. The crisis leaning. Yeah. But you're right, this is very lean. It hits the ground running. As um, I mean, it is one when I was originally reading through these, like you, I got to the end very quickly. Mm. I had to read it again as if, say, hang on, is that actually a full page? And actually, it's it really is. So excellent, Anonymous. That is Scourge. Uh, and again, it allows me to put the silly voice when I read it out, which is called Two More to Go. What are we going to go with? Let's go with With Evil Intent by Liam Savile. One week ago. Simon Anton stepped up to the apartment door, placed one hand over the peephole, and pounded three times on the solid timber panelling with the handle of a large ball-peen hammer. He heard movement inside, and a woman's voice called out. Hello, who is it? He didn't answer. Yes, hello, who's there? The woman said, now a little closer to the door. Simon remained silent. The woman called out again, and once more Simon said nothing. A minute or so passed, and eventually curiosity got the better of her. The woman opened the door to see what was going on, and that's when Simon made his move. He sprang forward, sending his shoulder and body weight into the door, which slammed open against the inside wall. The woman was quick to react. The door had missed her, but only just. As she turned and scrambled backwards, she knew she was in trouble. He had her. She was trapped. Simon Anton was going to kill her, and she knew why. Simon stepped inside, then paused and looked about. There was no need to rush. The outcome was inevitable. With his gloved hands, he calmly pulled the hood of the white plastic painter's overalls up to cover his head, readied his hammer, and followed his quarry into the back bedroom. Nobody was coming to save her, and even if she did manage to get to her phone, it would all be over before help could arrive. As he stepped into the bedroom, the woman let out a loud, primal scream, and at the same time hurled a bedside lamp at him from across the room. He saw it coming, threw up his arm to deflect its blow, and sent it crashing through a large mirror on the wall before it smashed on the floor. Not keen to give her time to find something else to throw at him, Simon jumped up onto the bed, took one quick step forward, and with his left foot launched a wild soccer kick at the woman's head. It connected with the underside of her jaw with a sickening crack, breaking it in three places and causing her head to snap back violently. That's like Christmas at my place. So that's uh, With Evil Intent by Liam Savile. What do we think of that? Yeah, I really like that. I mean, obviously, uh, it sounds like a pretty good violence sort of opening. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, but I enjoy that. Um, this one, you know, I was talking about when we were looking at uh, duplicity, I was saying that yeah. they might have an interesting counterpoint. Yes. So this one, I think, is... Um, why was it a counterpoint? Let's remind myself. <laughs> um, 
Yes, so this one is quite interesting. I think there's a good sort of variation of pace from line to line. You know, it's this kind of very slow creep pace, and then there's a kind of fast-ish middle, mm -hmm. and then a faster end. And I think there's just a couple of tweaks I'd make to it actually to just make that initial burst sort of feel a bit faster, and then a slowdown. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that specifically is, if you look around the sort of from he sprang forward, so that's the, whatever that is, the first kind of chunky paragraph. He yeah. sprang forward, sending his shoulder and body weight into the door. Yeah. From there to later on, the tweak I would actually make is to maybe change, he sprang forward, shoulder charging the door or something like that. Mm -hmm. Something to kind of make that, those charging bits a little bit faster. And then when he's in the house and he's kind of pacing and he kind of is in control of the situation. Because it's quite interesting, you know, say the woman was quick to react. That's quite a slow beat because we don't know exactly what she's done. And it takes a lot of words to say that one thing. Mm -hmm. The door had missed, but only just, you know, that's again, nothing has happened there. As she turned and scrambled, she knew she was in trouble. You know, it's a lot of like kind of digesting, slower sort of um, building beats, I guess, in a way. Um, so I quite like that. I think I, I really like the variation of pace and I like that difference in texture. Yeah. There's an interesting point, I think, to be made in this one around perspective of which character's eyes it's through. I mean, quite often with this kind of thing, and I don't know if this is necessarily from that, but generally the, the kind of those um, victim scenes, for lack of a better phrase, in, in kind of serial killer fiction stuff, it tends to be either very closely from the killer's perspective or very closely from the victim's perspective. Right. This slightly fudges the lines here, and I'll, I'll explain why in a bit, but I think just as like a kind of general exercise for writers thinking, if you're writing this scene, what's the different effect of the where you put the camera, as it were? So if you're closely in Simon's head, you you know what's going to happen. You know that you're, what you're about to commit. So you could yeah. put that more in the start, and then it becomes more of a, a suspense thing for the audience where we know what's about to happen and we're just waiting for it to happen. And that yeah. kind of gives us a kind of dread. Yeah. Whereas if you put it from her point of view, you don't know what's about to happen. You don't know who's at the door. And then actually it's all, we, we know as much as that character and it's catching up with that. I mean, you, you know what I mean yeah. by this, yeah. but I think that's a really key decision to make in these kind of scenes. So for example, we, I think we can tell from this, that is from Simon's point of view, really. Yes. And as a result, there's a couple of changes I would make that I think would improve that sort of narrative uh, filtration when it says a minute or so passed and eventually. I think he seems so planned and so clinical and forensic about this. That just felt like quite a vague, loose sentence to me. It should be, you know, he should be like checking his watch almost. Like he, he's, is this the first time he's done this? On average, maybe it's 90 something seconds it takes or for yeah, the person yeah. to crack and open, yeah. you know. So just those kind of little details would put us into his head and would tell us, A, it's not the first time he's done this. B, he's got this incredible attention to detail and that is scary. That's what we find scary about this kind of stuff. You know, just that one little tweak, I think makes the scene scarier. Yeah. Actually, and there's a bit later in the scene where he's like, he doesn't care if she throws things or, or calls or whatever. Again, um, maybe that's the messiness is sort of the what appeals to him about the rest of it. But do you know what I mean? And, and then just Absolutely, sorry, yeah. just to finish up that thought, penultimate line: a sickening crack. Sickening to who? Because actually, if you know, if it's from his point of view, it should be like a you know a very satisfying crack, or you know what I mean? I just yeah. feel like the sickening suddenly almost is from a different point of view. This is kind of taking us to a third person or an author or an external narrator, whereas actually, I think with a scene like this, the closer we go into his head, the scarier it is yeah. and the more we experience that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And how does he know it's broken in three places? Yeah, I think, well, that kind of thing is this kind of, it's kind of a telescoping effect, yeah. isn't it? That you're, you're jumping forward in the future. I like that kind of thing. It's quite stylish and stuff. And, you know, you can sort of fudge it in this kind of supervillain sort of way with this stuff and say, well, you know, he, he knew... 
Yeah. You can assume he knew from experience that it had broken or yeah. throw in some kind of Latin science words in there. We assume the author <laughs> is, is a maxillofacial expert or whatever. But so, yeah, I mean, I think when I have thoughts like this, it's generally a good sign that I've engaged with the scene. And I, I you know, I can even think that, all right, you know, why don't we tweak like this or tweak like that? And I, I really like that the sort of shoulder charge, the speed of that down to there was no need to rush, you know, that texture and that contrast, that scene building beat to beat stuff, I think is good. And and again, similar to the minute or so past, eventually the later on in the final paragraph, not keen to give her time to find something else to throw him, just suddenly feels a bit kind of, I don't know if it's meant to be funny or if it's meant to be a bit casual or a bit like loose, I'm not sure. I, th- that line didn't quite land for me as, much, as well as some of the rest of it did. Mm. He's certainly not afraid about making a lot of noise, you know, if he's not bothered about her calling or the sound of a mirror smashing or the sound of a lamp throwing or a loud primal scream. You know, he seems to not really care about He seems like he'll be in and out pretty quickly. But yeah, I think it's good. I think it's good. It's really just questions of as a writer and as a reader, for your effect, where do you want this camera placed? You know, do you want to kind of jump scare us into not knowing what's coming from the victim's point of view? Or do you want to give us an insight into this Simon character and, and how and why he does things like this? And I think actually almost my gut feeling is actually put us much closer into his head, give us much more of the kind of horrible kind of voyeurism of knowing exactly what he's planning and how everything is kind of following his plan. You know yeah. what I mean? I feel yeah, like yeah. that's a scarier killer sort of scene. Yeah. Now, actually, the words like eventually are, are words that tend, I tend to delete on second drafts as well. They're, they're kind yeah. of uh, slightly filler words. And I think you're right. If you, if you have some piece of detail there, because there's a lovely bit of details mm-hmm. on the second line, third line, ball peen hammer. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to congratulate Liam on getting that in because I've been trying to get the phrase ball peen hammer into scripts and books for so long because I heard it first in, it's in Sexual Perversity in Chicago by David Manet. Mm-hmm. And the guy's telling an anecdote about how King Farouk used to kill ex-lovers with a ball peen hammer. And I tried putting that in a horror script. My co-writer was like, what's a ball-peen hammer? I said, it doesn't matter. Well, it needs to go in. It's a lovely detail. So congratulations, Liam. That's great detail. So, yeah, that was good. That was really cool. Okay. On to our final one page. And this is The Porcelain Hand by Rachel Howells. The fledglings chirped and squirruped happily in the nest, calling out to mother, who would be back soon with breakfast. The blue-tit chicks were bug-eyed and ugly, spouting tufts of fluff here and there on their wrinkly, pimpled skin. Just as Mother swooped down with a mouthful of wriggling worms, with her legs outstretched and reaching for the branch on which her younglings nested, a kaput broke the morning chorus, followed by a thud. Mother hit the ground hard. Worms wriggled out of her gullet, sliding their way from the clutches of the beak into the undergrowth and roots of the very same tree. A gentle sprinkling of leaf and bracken confetti speckled the body of Mother lightly, covering her in a natural, shallow grave. The chick's calls from above turned to a shrill. Their incessant squawking pierced through the wooded, eerie silence, doomed to perish where they nestled. A skitch and a sketch sound along the dusty ground broke their calls to silence. A small girl, not even five years of age, skipped her blood-red patented dolly shoes through the undergrowth of the wood. She stopped and rummaged in the foliage in the ground. Aha! she exclaimed, picking up the lifeless body of Mother Blutit. In her other hand, she was holding a homemade catapult. She swung Mother Bird around in glorified triumph, as though just having bestowed with a trophy for winning a grand event. 
she brought Mother's dead-eyed face towards hers, tweeting merrily. And suddenly, chomp, the little girl bit Mother's head off in one swift bite. Bird guts expulsed from between her teeth as she smiled and sneered, staring up at the nest, discarding the rest of Mother back to the ground. The little girl stomped the mother's body until a bloody mulch squelched around her feet. Sweet dreams, listeners. That was The Porcelain Hand by Rachel Howells. This is, this is fun, isn't it? It's a really horrible ending. Really, really horrible. I, I, it's great. It's really, really good. Um, I mean, I think even on the first read, even in that first paragraph, it jumps out to me that this, of all the writers certainly here that we've read and we looked at... Um, I know the last time I was on this show, there were a couple that definitely put a lot more um, uh, of a premium on, you know, the sound, the assonance, the the kind of poetic side of things. And th- this author definitely has a pays a lot of attention to the music of the words. And as you know, I assume um, uh, she writes and reads it aloud, and maybe maybe poetry background or something. I don't know, but definitely a lot of that. There's a lot of music coming through, you know. Not just the kind of onomatopoeic words like chirped and squirrel, but even bug-eyed and ugly spouting tufts of fluff and wrinkly pimples. You know, there's all these internal um, jingles and jangles and rhymes and stuff, and I really like that. And it kind of, I think it sort of, it ties in very nicely to the bird song and this kind of like, you know, almost like creepy nursery rhyme thing with the kid turning up a little bit later. It just feels like it's a a nice piece and it feels like it's um, a more developed voice as a result. So I think that's good. Mm. You've got to be careful sometimes to not go too far as is always the way with things like this but it's i think it's nice i think it reads it reads well um i think the best thing about it actually even more than the music is that it's this kind of double escalation at the end mm-hmm. the first you kind of get the reveal that oh it was her with this catapult wow what an evil kid i assume that it was the kid who did this yeah. right and that's only why i read it and then suddenly the the second thing um of just biting the you know ozzy osborning <laughs> this this mother bird kind of full that was him that used to do that, wasn't it? That was yeah. like, with the bats, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's like this kind of moment of shock there as well. I guess there's a little bit of a tendency to to, to pair things into ands. You know, there's a this and a that, and again, maybe that fits the rhythm, that kind of seesaw nursery rhyme rhythm that, that is, is permeating some of the bit. The bit that kind of tripped me up, dead eyes face towards hers tweeting merrily. Who's tweeting merrily? Right. Is it bird dead? Or is it her tweeting merrily? I'm confused by that. Mm. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's just really, really disgusting, horrible ending with the guts expulsed, I think, is maybe the most disgusting bit. Um, But, you know, it's obviously there to kind of shock us and disgust us. So it probably works um, for that reason, I think. yeah, I think it's good. I think the voice is good. It feels like the decisions have been made kind of consciously and there's a schematic at work and the author is kind of following that and kind of developing along those lines. So the voice, there's maybe a couple of places where it goes a little bit too far or possibly hammers home the point a little bit too much in terms of what the birds are doing and the exact sounds and everything. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this, um, as presumably some sort of intro ties into you know how do you write like this in a more conventional scene setting where there's people talking and there's a back and forth you know there's action you have to get across you know this feels very much like a almost like a one-page setup do you know what i mean right there's this thing happening it's quite stylized isn't it yeah it's very stylized you know how, how would you take the the music the musicality of something like this into into the scene do you have to you probably don't have to you know maybe that you get moments like this in a narrative to kind of break up the rest of it mm. that kind of thing certainly want to know more about why this kid is doing this um <laughs> pretty horrible yeah and where's this kid coming from what, how, what does it relate to you know all of that i think is good at asking those questions 
it's good. It's intriguing. You know, it says, it says a lot, I think, with very little without um, dragging its feet too much, I think. Yeah. It is genuinely shocking. And you're yeah. right. I think the next stage is to dig deeper with this character. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to shock. It is easy to shock. It's much more difficult to shore that up with characterization, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, what do we... Obviously, at the moment, we're intrigued and kind of disgusted by this character. But then why is this person this way? Is there... Do we get deeper into that? Do we not... Do we find, you know, is this, you know, do we meet this person grown up or do we meet them, you know, at that age or what are their parents like? You know, what's going on here? I think, but it's good to to be, to have those questions, to instill those questions in the reader at this early stage, I think is a good sign. Yeah. We've got, I'd be interested to know what you think. We've got four or five words here, all in caps. So there's uh, a kaput, now it's spelled kaput, I don't know if that's kaput or kaput, K-A-P-H-U-T, uh, thud, Skitch and a sketch, which I really liked. And the, the second heart in aha is in caps, and then chomp is in caps. Mm. Is that overegging the pudding? Do we need those? They're a bit comic booky, aren't they? Yeah, they are a little bit. I I would normally say I don't like it, but actually, I think it seems to work here that um, it kind of it's got this almost extra rhythm, sort of on top of the sentence level stuff, which you know has a lot of like rhythm and musicality to it and stuff. I think you know you, you want to be careful to not use that kind of stuff as a crutch Uh, yeah I guess the question is if you put them all into lowercase or italics or something like how much would the text be affected by it not Mm. not a huge amount so Mm. you could arguably not have it but it seems you know it seems to me the writer's having fun with with it so yeah long may it last (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) thank you for that very much Rachel you are a sick and twisted individual that's a compliment (laughs) yes (laughs) Okay, and that is it. That is our one-page punch-ups. We really hope you found that useful, folks. And like I say, if you didn't get in this time, there's always next time, and we are hoping to do a science fiction fantasy special. I know some people have asked for a romance special as well, so I'm going to see if we can find an editor for that too. Now, if you want to get involved for next time, as I said, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, and we'll be opening the month soon for the next round of one-page submissions. And that's for our chart-topper supporters over on Patreon. They also get invited to the live shows all sorts of extra stuff as well so get involved please subscribe rate and review the podcast on itunes and thanks to dave and jd our editors and don't forget the big thing for next year the bxp 2020 challenge you can make 2020 your best writing year ever go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash bxp 2020 and sign up now emad thank you so much for this today I really appreciate it I know how incredibly busy you are we're in December it's the busiest time it's a manic time of year isn't it but uh, thank you so much no thank you so much for having me yeah hopefully see you again soon